John Frame, The Doctrine of the Knowledge of God. Now, this is a serious theological book. It's the first of four that look just like this in the cover and even the title, The Doctrine of Series. It's called the Lordship Series, and it's the first of four. John Frame is a theologian who attempted to make a series on the Lordship of God. So his first one is on knowledge, because John Frame correctly understood that there is a Christian way to know things, and that many people break God's laws of knowing. They know things in a sinful way. And because they do that, great problems come in the church. Can I give you an easy example? When you believe gossip, you think the gossip is true because you didn't ask and find out and listen patiently and read the Bible. You didn't talk to the person. So you, quote, know the gossip is true, but you didn't go to check it out. How many problems have come in the world because people listened to false reports? Yeah, and that's the kind of thing he's going to hit <clears throat> all through this book. It's knowing things in a wrong way, and this can be so practical. It will help you raise your children because your children are factories of false knowledge. Your kids all the time, my kids, they know things and then 10 seconds later, oh, I was wrong. <laughs> Just today. <laughs> I can't find this. I can't find this solution to this geometry problem. It's not here. It's not here, mom. Well, but look, it's right here. Oh, I see it. <laughs> False knowledge. That kind of thing happens all the time where we, we put our certainty on a certain idea, not biblically. John Frame's going to help us with that. That's the first of the four books. The second of the four books is called The Doctrine of God. Because if you start with knowledge, then he thought, well, you've got to get God right. So he has a book that's even larger than this on the doctrine of God. I have read all four of these books. I think three of the four were given to me by my wife. And this was my book of the year for 2011. It's a very good book. In fact, this is the best of the four books. So the second book is The Doctrine of God. The third book is called The Doctrine of the Christian Life. Paul brought it the other night when he was here. That huge book, it's a thousand pages. So each book got bigger. The Doctrine of the Christian Life. And that's a book that just tells you how do you live as a Christian. And then the fourth book is the second best. This is the best. The second best is the doctrine of the word of God. And it's about this size on what is the Bible. And Frame united those four, the doctrine of knowledge or the knowledge of God, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of the Christian life, and the doctrine of the word of God under the heading of the Lordship series. And just so you know, I don't understand why he chose those four. And I had the privilege of being his student in 2012. I never saw him in person, but we emailed. I emailed him and he emailed back to me. <clears throat> and I should have asked him, why did you have four? Why did you have those four? 
And the Herbert is the answer was because they're, they're excellent books. Uh, they're good books. This one's excellent. They're good books. This is excellent. Um, but why do you pick those four? But I am very glad that he gave us this excellent book. I could see this book being around in 100 years. I hope it is. Let me explain it to you. You've got your notes there. Start at the beginning, the introduction. <clears throat> Jesus knows everything, and yet he says, I never knew you. How is that possible? <laughs> Vanessa, true or false? Jesus knows everything. True, true or false? Jesus says, I don't know these people. True, How can that be? That's what frame, that, that gives an example of the kind of thing. Frame is going to explain what does it mean to know. If I ask you, do you know me? What would you say? Yes. If I ask you, do you know um, Julius Malema? Yeah. Do you know, do you know Malema? Yeah. Do you know Barack Obama? Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, wait, what do you mean? You don't know what I mean with the word I mean, because that word is what we call ambiguous. And it can be very tricky when you try to decide what is knowledge. Paul says that all men know God, Romans 1.21. Yet in another sense, only believers know God. So who is it? Who knows God? How does this work? That's the point of the book. Now, there are three parts of knowing. This is number four. There are three parts to know, and you need to follow this because this is going to be a heavier lecture. There's theology here. Where, uh, some people said they'll come back to the class when I start teaching theology again. I try to teach theology every time I teach. So, But this is just for you. If you're listening, you can come back because it's theological. There's three parts of knowing. Follow these. Number one, there's an object to be known. That's part one of the book. You can't know anything if there's not a thing that's being known, right? Number two, there's a law. That's a basis or a criterion or a norm or a standard by which something is known. That's part two. And then there's part three, and that's a knower. You can't have knowledge without a knower, mutivi. You need something and you need and then you need this, this criterion by which the that thing that he knows. You need all three of those to fit together. Frame here is following um, popular philosophical discussions of the idea that there are objects and subjects and there are norms by which Subjects, no objects. But far more important than he's following popular philosophy, a frame is following, far more importantly, the Trinity. The Father knows the Son by the sevenfold Spirit of God. The Spirit knows the Son by the Father. The Son knows the Father by the Spirit. There is in the Trinity a perfect threeness that parallels this. And not only the Trinity, there are many spiritual matters. Christ is a prophet, a priest, and a king that parallels these three 
uh, categories, these three elements. Anytime there's knowledge, there's going to be a knower, a thing to be known, and then a law or a channel that moves the knower's mind out to grab the thing that is to be known. Is that confusing? It might be, but it won't be when we're done, I hope. Let's start with the simplest one, the object. The objects of knowledge. What can be known? Only three things can be known. Do you see them there in the list? What's the first thing that can be known? God. What's the second thing that can be known? Number six. The world. What's the third thing that can be known? Only three things that can be known. And those three parallel the previous three. God, the world, and ourselves. Now, what should we start with? That's difficult to know, but look what the book's title is. The book's title is not The Doctrine of Knowledge. Frame even says this, it could have been titled The Doctrine of Knowledge because I'm trying to teach a biblical view of knowing. But since the most important thing to know is God... If you really know God, everything else, all your other knowledge falls in place. So he says, I'm going to call it the doctrine of the knowledge of God so that I can show you where my bias is. I'm not neutral here. I'm knowing as a Christian. And frame is explicit. You don't want to know anything as a man or a woman. Or a boy or a girl or young or old or rich or poor or white or black or South African or Zimbabwean. You want to know as a Christian. And he's exactly right there. Because Frame understands that all objects can only be known through a bias. More on that just now. Object number one, God. Only God can know all things perfectly at the same time from the beginning. We are the only ones or we are the ones who have to start somewhere and move on. But God can know everything at the same time. So where does God's knowledge begin? Well, there is no beginning to his knowledge because he can know at the same time, the Father can know everything in the Son and everything in himself and everything in you all at the same time, and he can connect those ideas so that they make sense. You and I can't. We are so small, we have to start with one thing and then see how it touches another thing. Let me learn your name. When I've really got that down, oh, who's that? Oh, she's related? Okay, then let me move to object number two. We have to go step by step, but he doesn't. So when we begin with objects, we even have to learn differently from God. Because God can know all things at the same time. Letter B, God is Lord. That is the teaching of the Old Testament. Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the message of the New Testament. I like Frame here. He's getting right at the core of things. The whole Bible can be summarized in those words. Jesus Christ is Lord. And since I've talked many times about presuppositions, the first presupposition you must have is that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the first one. That's the foundation. I'll never give on that. I I can't have a friendly discussion on whether that's true or not. There's no debate on that. Number, letter C. Meanings of words are discovered through an investigation of their use. Now, oh, already we're at page 12, and look at what Frame is doing. He's already moving into logic. 
You see, this talk about object, subject, law, oh, it's so confusing. Hey, just walk slowly with us, and what you're going to see, if you read the book, you'll get a lot more good stuff. But basically, this book is a book on logic, how to think correctly. What he says here in, in, that I've recorded under letter C is, meanings of words are discovered by their use. My wife has a book she's reading for her ongoing education. And in that book, Susan Bauer puts a selection from a great book and it has a word that no one knows. But Susan Bauer, she's writing the book and she says, read the next selection and see if you can figure out what the unknown word means just from the way it's used. I was listening to my wife as she read me the paragraph and we got to the word. I don't remember what word it was, but it was a word that I did not know. My wife didn't know and you probably don't know. But in the context, it was very clear. It was a kind of boat. Because you just read through the way it's used. You can tell the words before and the words after. So you know, ah, I know what that word is based on the way it's used. Frame says the same thing. If you want to understand what words in the Bible mean, it would be great if you knew Greek and Hebrew. But you really don't need that. What you need to do is read your Bible and see how the word is used. If you come across a word like redeem, just keep reading and find the other times it's used. You say, but I don't know what it means. Just keep reading. You're going to find that word again. And what you'll do is you'll find the words before and after. You say, well, okay, I'm starting to figure it out now. The meanings of words are first discovered through their uses. Because of God's simplicity, all his attributes are related and connected. Thus, if you understand one you necessarily understand at least something of all the others. Wow! You cannot know, letter E, you cannot know anything without recognizing that truth exists. And if truth exists, there must be an authority that makes truth, truth. Thus, to know anything, you must actually have a belief of God in your heart. Did you follow that? Or you missed that? If you believe in anything, then you have to believe that there's someone who made that thing. Let's say you believe this. The book is on the table. Question. Can these be true at the same time? The book is on the table, and that very same book is not on the table. Can both of those be true at the same time and in the same sense? I can't say it is true that, the, that, that John Owen's spiritual mindedness that Seth's copy of John Owen's spiritual mindedness is on the table, and at the same time, and in the same sense, John, Seth Meyer's copy of John Owen's spiritual mindedness is not on the table. The, you can't... Mm. But if it's true that the book is on the table, then there has to be a mind and authority that says, you can't say the book is not on the table. What would be wrong? What's wrong, Nico, if I say the book is not on the table? What's wrong with that? Because it's on the table. Yeah, but who's the boss who gets to determine that, that, that the words, it's on the table, mean this? Who gets to determine that? You see what I said? I said, who? Who? Someone, just if you, if you say anything, the book is on the table. Let's say that you are an atheist, you don't believe in God, 
and you say, hey, the book's on the table. You are assuming that there is a authority, a who, a person who says, that's the way you talk. You've got to talk that way. You can't say the book is under the table. You cannot say that. And people don't say that. There's no fight. No, no one would fight in any university to say the book is under the table. But they will fight to say there is no God. Whenever they say the book is on the table, they're admitting there is a God. They know him back, back in their heart, but they cover it up with so much sin. You remember before we talked about logic, we said your mind is like a room, but it's all cluttered up with rubbish. Yeah, over here, they push God into the corner and then throw a bunch of sin on that knowledge, but it's still in the room. And Frame gets it exactly right. You can't even say my wife's name is Amy without believing there's a God. Because to say the phrase, there, my wife's name is Amy, well, why can't I say my wife's name is Tiffany? Why can't I say that? I like saying that. I like saying my wife's name is Tiffany. Why can't I say that? Answer, because there's an authority outside of me, outside of you, outside of this room, that authority out there won't allow us to agree. Can't say that. And that authority is God, which means... Anytime, even an unbeliever, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Hindu, an atheist, anyone, whenever they say, oh, that's my white car, they're believing there's a God every time they do that. They're, they're making a testimony, I really believe in Jesus, even though they don't realize it. Number, number F, just as God is omniscient, so man's knowledge in a certain sense is universal. What? Man's knowledge is universal? Does, God, does man know everything? Does man know everything? Next line. Van Til says, man knows something about everything. Stop right there. Who can tell me? What do you know about everything? Why? Well, you got to tell me what the something is. What do you know about everything? It exists. You know it exists right there. What else do you know about everything? How did it get here? What's that? It was created by God. What else do you know about everything? See, you know something about the polar ice caps. You know something about polar bears. You know something about mosquitoes in China. They exist. They're made by God. What else? They're controlled by God, right? They're underneath him. They glorify him. You know a number of things about everything. You have a kind of universal knowledge, kind of. Because we know God, we know that everything in the universe is created, subject to his authority, and filled with his presence. You know that you know something about Pluto, the planet. You know that God is there. He made it and he's there right now. Letter G. Knowing God makes us obedient to him. But the reverse is also true. Obeying God teaches us or causes us to know him more. This is one of the great things I learned from John Frame. I have not read this book since 2011. I spent about four or five hours reading this book today. I went back through from the beginning to the end. On, not, I didn't read every word, but I read almost all of my underlines 
I found so many things that I have said when I'm preaching and I didn't even remember that I learned them from him. This is one of them. This is one of them. Letter G right here. Frame says, if you really know God, then you will obey him. But the reverse is true. If you just start obeying God, you will find that you know him. It works either way. He also says, if you love God, you'll find that you obey, right? And if you love, you'll find that you know. And if you start to know, you'll learn that you love. All three are there. It's always those three. And they're connected, Father, Son, and Spirit. All three are connected. And if you just know God, you will obey. If you know him, but you don't obey him, You really don't know him. Could anyone say that they really know the judge of all the universe who holds all the world in his hand like dust? They really know that God, but they're going to say, no, I'm not going to obey. That person does not know God. The person who knows God will obey. Letter H, to know God is to be his friend. To understand the facts about him and to exercise obedience. There's the three. Do you see him? Friend. There's the heart. What's the next one? Understand the facts. There's the head. Exercise obedience. There's the hands. Heart, head, hands. If you're following this, you've seen this for years in my teaching. If you've you've known me for years. In my sermons, this is John Frame. Head, heart, hands. Uh, Those are my words for it because his words are so long. Do you want me to say head, heart, hands? Or do you want me to say normative perspective, situational perspective, and existential perspective? Can I just say head, heart, hands? (laughs) Frame is a brilliant theologian, but I'm trying to bring it down to make it understandable. Letter I. There is no significant difference between denying God's existence and acting as if God does not exist. Wow. So the people in this town who say that they love God, but continue to live with their girlfriend without marrying her, they're acting like atheists. They're practically atheists. And there's no difference if you act like an atheist while you say, oh, I believe in God. Or if you say, I don't believe in God and you act like an atheist. It's the same thing. So in this town, not far from here is a white guy that I met when I went to his shop. And I tried to evangelize him. And he said, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Oh, okay, wonderful, wonderful. Oh, how did you become a believer? Well, my girlfriend says I need to go to church. Oh, are you living with her? Yes. Then how can you say you're a Christian? Oh, I want to get married. No, 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 no. I said, how can you say that you are a Christian? You're living with this girl. God says he's angry and he will judge whoremongers. I'm not saying this because I'm angry at you. I love you and want to help you. How can you say that you know God if you're living this way? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to get married. Okay, well, I hope so. I left him. He was going to get married in April. What happened? Coronavirus. So you would think, you would think, right, that he would say, coronavirus came, you've got to move out or you might make me infected. No. Instead, he stopped going to church and didn't do the wedding that was planned. So I went back and was talking to him sometime later and I said, hey, so did you marry the girl? Oh, no, we couldn't because of the lockdown. Oh, but you have no problem going on in your sin in the lockdown? Ha ha, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
God, what, what does frame say? He brings it out correctly. That man's an atheist. So the first thing we can know is God. He's the greatest thing. In fact, he's bigger than the world. There's more to know about God than there is to know about the world. Number two. It's actually number six, but it's number two. The world. Quote, God wants his people to apply his word to their own situations. And this implies that he wants them to understand their own situations. We we cannot apply the Bible to our lives unless we understand our lives. Let me give you a super easy example. Is it right or wrong to commit fornication? It's wrong. Is it fornication if you stay with a girl when you paid the down payment, but not the full lovola? Now, right there, what we have to do is we cannot answer that question unless we go out of the Bible and study lovola. We have to go and study this. Is lovola in the Bible? Well, the word is not... I'm going to have to go outside of the Bible and sit down with African people and study the world because I've got this Bible verse that says, do not commit adultery. And I don't know, is the person committing adultery or are they not? I don't know. So let's go talk. I want to find out, okay, when this happens, then what? Is it this or is it this? I'm not doing a Bible study. I'm doing a culture study because I can't tell. Are you committing adultery? There's a man that I know who paid the down payment, three or 5,000 rand, but he hasn't paid the rest. He still owes 10 or 15, and that's been about 20 years ago. So is he committing adultery or not? Well, I've got to find out. And it's not written in the Bible. If the man pays 5,000 but doesn't pay any more, kick him out of the church. That's not in there. All that's in there is if he commits adultery, kick him out. All right. But I have to find, I have to find adultery, does it equal? Is it like this? Adultery equals um, living with girl after down payment before full <laughs> lobola. Is it equal or is it not equal? Which one? Yo, I've got to figure that out. How in the world am I going to choose one of those two signs? I've got to go outside the Bible and I've got to sit down in the world and open my eyes and open my ears and ask questions and learn. And when I learn enough about all of this, living with the girl after down payment before full lobola, when I learn enough about that, then I can go back and say, aha, now I know, and I can teach what the Bible says. And it's not just that. It's many, many things like that. Many things, not one or two. It's a whole list of things. And you have to figure out what does the Bible say. What does the Bible say about buying a Mercedes? Is that covetousness? Is that putting your treasures in heaven? Is that, I'm going to have to go outside the Bible because the Bible doesn't say you can't buy a Mercedes. It doesn't say buy them. It says, what does it say? Let me go study the world and find out what does a Mercedes say? What, when I, if I buy a Mercedes, it's saying something to people. What is it saying? 
If it's saying things that are different from what the Bible says, then I can't buy it. If it's not, then I can. I'm going to have to go study it. That's why we have logic. And that's why we study what is the world. Letter B. Knowing the meaning then is knowing how to apply. The meaning of scripture is its application. Underline that. That is one of the best things I got from Frame. The meaning of scripture is its application. And just so that you know, there is a fight about this. That line right there, the meaning of scripture is its application. I agree with that. But many good and godly men do not. Many men who teach at John MacArthur Seminary strongly disagree with that line. I think that line is exactly right. You think about it this week and you see if it's right. What Frame is saying is you don't understand any part of the Bible unless you can use it in life. If you can't use the Bible with your kids, you don't understand it. You don't know the meaning. Well, what does it mean? Here's simple. Use it. Go, you want, go use that with your kids. Example. My son told me after the sermon on Esther, I'm going to pray that I would not be, was it angry? I'm going to pray that I wouldn't be angry and prideful because I don't want to be like Haman. I thought, aha, he gets the meaning because what is he doing? He's using it. Some people read it, da, da, da. They don't pray that they wouldn't be prideful. I don't think you got the meaning. Oh, no, no, I'm sure I did. I can tell you there's a man named Haman. He did this and this. Did you use it? Did you do anything with it? Then I'm not sure if you got the meaning. Question. How would we use a passage of scripture like First Chronicles, the first 10 chapters of First Chronicles, or Leviticus, or passages of scripture that cannot be immediately implemented into your life? Just because things aren't immediately implemented doesn't, think, doesn't mean they can't be used. But passages can be used in different ways, just like you use tools in different ways. There's some tools that you use once a year, and there's some tools that you use every day. Yeah, but the goal of that is, if you understand up front, the, the, the meaning of Scripture is its use or its application, then you will work to use and apply those passages. Uh, one more thing on the world here. Here is an example Frame gives at the beginning. Uh, he says, to prove his point, he says, think of Genesis chapter 2 when Adam and Eve are in the garden. And God tells Adam, do not eat the fruit of the tree. What does that assume about Adam? Adam had to know what a tree is. God didn't tell him what it, he just said, don't eat the fruit of the tree. But where did Adam learn what a tree is? I don't think, there's no evidence in the Bible that God grabbed Adam and said, hey, hey, touch this, feel that, call tree, say tree. (laughs) There's no evidence. Adam had to go learn what tree is from wherever he learned how to speak. He had to learn what tree is, and he had to learn what? The difference between a leaf and fruit. 
Because God said, don't eat the fruit. He's got to have some way to differ. And he's got to know what the word eat means. Doesn't mean throw it in the air. It doesn't, doesn't mean kiss it. It means do something else. Now, we can, we can laugh at that maybe because you're just hearing this idea for the first time. But the, the point is very simple that all of God's commands, in fact, everything in the Bible requires that you know something outside the Bible. We believe in sola scriptura, which means the Bible is all of God's words that we need. It doesn't mean that it's all the words that we need. You need many, many words. You need your wife to say, I love you. You need to know the word for your wife's name, right? Hey, I'm not going to call you by your name because I don't need any words except words in the Bible. (laughs) You need lots of words that are not in the Bible. What you don't need is any more of God's words. Sola Scriptura means we don't need prophets and dreams and visions. We got all those that we need in the Bible. We don't need any more words from God because he gave us all that we need. And that's another frame uh, teaching. Okay, uh, the third category, it's marked on your paper as number seven. I'm sorry, I should have started the numbers over. Number seven, but it's actually category number three, ourselves. Theology is the application of God's word by persons to all areas of life. Persons have to do this. And there again you see theology is using the Bible. In other words, theology is using the Bible, not merely talking about it. You understand the Bible when you use it the right way. Don't tell me that you understood my sermon. Show me this week that you understood my sermon. Go do something. (laughs) Prove if you can start obeying the Bible, then you understood my sermon. Paul told me, that the best compliment he can get after a sermon is obedience in the week. That's pretty good. The best way to compliment me is to go do what the Bible said. Then we'll, then we'll know that you got the point. Uh, letter B. All of our perceptions about the world are influenced by our what? That's very, very important. We cannot know anything without interpreting that thing. It's not possible to know without interpretation. Simple example. An evolutionist looks at a dinosaur skeleton, a dinosaur bone that was just discovered, and the bone was discovered with still uh, soft tissue in it. Now, soft tissue cannot possibly live more than a few thousand years. And we discovered the bone with soft tissue. Evolutionists believe that the dinosaurs lived hundreds of millions of years ago. That, that makes sense? So evolutionists believe dinosaurs lived hundreds of millions of years ago. Creationists, biblical Christians believe, no, it's just dinosaurs lived a few thousand years ago. They lived in the book of Job and men saw them. And I mean, it's even possible that there's some today alive. Possible, I don't know. So that's the way a Christian would talk. Now we find a bone and it has soft tissue in it. This was just discovered. So what, what happens? When I look at that, I have to interpret it. My interpretation is what? 
oh, look, the Bible's true. The soft tissue proves that the dinosaurs lived in the time of Job. That's what I was, I knew that would happen. I knew someone would find a bone with soft tissue because Job lived about 4,000 years ago and the bone's about 4,000 years and then soft tissue's going to be gone. So that's exactly, I knew that would happen. The evolutionist, on the other hand, says, well, that's amazing. It seems that soft tissue can live 500 million years. Did you hear that? That's what they said. Their own tests have already shown soft tissue cannot live 500 million years. But when the bone was discovered, did they look at the bone and say, well, I guess the Bible's true. I'm going to stop believing in evolution and I'm going to start going to a Baptist church. Did they say that? No, because there's no such thing as a fact that interprets itself. Every fact is controlled by your glasses. You remember Miss World last week? Her whole world changed when she put on the glasses. Your glasses are your presuppositions. It's your bias. It's your heart's loves. It's your basic commitments. And Frame is teaching very gently, very carefully, presuppositionalism. That is, why did the evolutionists say the bone is, oh, I guess soft tissue can live 500 million years. Why did he say that? Because his yeah. presupposition controlled what he did with the fact, right? Same thing with a husband and wife. They're angry at each other. They're fighting. They want a divorce. The wife starts to do some nice things for the husband because the husband thinks, man, I got to change. Look what I'm doing. I got to change. Got to be kind. I got to be nice to my wife. The wife says, what's he doing? He's doing these nice things because he wants something from me. He's trying to trick me to get my money. She's angry at him, so her presuppositions control what? Her mind. She looks at the facts. Here, the man bought her flowers and said, I'm so sorry. And she didn't. I'm not saying that's going to solve the whole problem. Maybe the problem's really deep. But does she say, well, I'll give you. Yeah, you can have five rand for that. No. She, ah, the guy's still tricking me. Uh, he's trying to take more. He's, mm. Presuppositions control what we do with the evidence. It always works that way. Because our heart's commitments control how we know. And as long as I'm hearing this, I'll just tell you this. This is jumping to another place. The most important thing about Christian knowing is to put your knowledge, everything you know, underneath what? The Bible. The most important thing about Christian knowing is everything I know is under the Bible. If it turns out a way that is a way that I'm used to, okay. If it turns out a way that I'm not used to, all right. Whatever happens, I put all of my knowledge underneath the Bible. That's the controller. That's the guiding principle that governs everything that happens to me. Well, number eight, I have argued that the knowledge of God's law, the world and the self are independent and ultimately identical. What? What's that? Oh, please, this is so confusing. It's late at night, I'm tired, and you're bringing this up. Wait a minute, it's not hard. Let me give you an example. Number one, God is love. Do you know that? Does everyone know God is love? You know that? Let me give you three examples. Number one, we only know that sentence 
when we know how sinful we are. Ooh, wait, 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 wait. Look at the sentence. Does it say anything about man? Look at the sentence. God is love. Does it say anything about man? It says nothing. But you cannot understand the sentence, God is love, unless you understand something about yourself. God is love. The, the word man is not even in that sentence. But I can't make sense out of God is love unless I know something about myself. And if I do know that I'm a sinner, and if I do know that Christ died for me, I suddenly understand God is love. Example number two, but uh, further, letter B. We only know that sentence when we know how God created and sustains the world. Oh, see, we don't even have to know about ourselves. We could just know something about the world. We could not really know that God is love without knowing something about history, creation, answered prayer, and the church. In other words, the world around us. Or letter C, again, we only know that sentence when we know what? The Bible says it. We cannot really know the truth if we did not read it where? That's what Frame is saying. If you read it in the Bible, or if you see what a terrible sinner, and you see Christ died for me, or if you look into the world and you see church history and providence and creation, you could know God is love from any one of those three sources. The head, the heart, or the hands. You could know that from any perspective. It's still, here's the truth, God is love. You could look at it from the perspective of me as a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. Wow, now I know what God is love. Or on another day of the week, I was reading church history. Now I know that God is love. Or another day of the week, I was reading my Bible, John 3.16. And for the first time in my life, John 3.16, God so loved the world. Wow, now I know what God is love means. You could find out the truth of that from any of those three perspectives. Go read a book on church history. Go take an hour, walk by yourself, and just think about your own sin for an hour. Or go read the Bible. Go listen to a sermon. What you're going to find is, ultimately, it's all the same. Whether I listen to a sermon on John 3.16, or I read a book on church history, or I take a walk for an hour and think about my sin, either way I'm going to come away with the same Truth, God is love. That's what Frame's saying. There is an identical nature. Or let me put this uh, drawing on the board here. It might be better to say it this way. Here's the diamond in the middle. Oh, that's almost straight. Yeah. I can look at it from this way or this way or this way. And ultimately, there's a point when all three lines are together. Now, there's other points where they're not together, but right here, they're touching. See that? All three lines intersect at that point, which is what Frame's point is. If you come at it from this perspective or this perspective or this, there's a point where they touch. You can know things in different ways. That's his point. Look at example number two quickly. You must be born again. There's a statement. We know this because what? Number two, we know this because we see sin working in our lives. 
Number three, we know this because church history shows those who've been born again. Example number three, Christ died for his church. We know this because... The Bible says so. We know this because... Our hearts know the wonder of forgiveness. There's the heart. I even put it right in there so you can see it so simply. We know this because the church has preached this message and died for this message. There's the the hands. Uh, In that example, number 11, example three, letter A is the head. The Bible says it. Your eyes read it. Your head, your your mind says, oh, okay. Um, uh, Christ died for his church. That's letter A. That's in the head. Letter B, that's in the heart. You see it right there. Our hearts know. Letter C, that's the hands. By going out and preaching and dying. Wow, that teaches me something. All right, I I think we're getting the point here. I I hope we're at least moving toward the point. There is much more to study, but I, I don't want to overburden you. This book, even if I went on for another 20 minutes, I, I would still be just getting into some of the gems in the book. The point is, there's a Christian way to know anything, including that. There's a Christian way to know 2 plus 2 equals 4. What's the Christian way to know that? Well, first of all, what if I said, what if I said 2 plus 2 equals 5? Am I allowed to say that? Nope, I can't say that. Why? The Christian way to know 2 plus 2 is 4 is to first of all acknowledge that there's an authority that made it that way. There is a boss outside of there who promised that it has to be that way. Hey, can I just tell you how insane the world is? <clears throat> There's a teacher's union in America. You know teachers, they're the people who are in charge of making your children smart. There's a teacher's union in America that just came out. Two different teachers tweeted about this and said, we have to take back Western math. They mean Christian math. They said, the whole idea that 2 plus 2 is 4 needs to be thrown down. Now, we can laugh at that, but why would they say that? Because in their hearts, they have a room, right? And what's in the corner? Their knowledge of God. They've covered it with sin, but whenever they see 2 plus 2 is 4, they still hear the authority is shouting at me. I can't take that. What, what is the reason behind this transgender foolishness? Because every time they see one man and one woman, it's a reminder that there's a great husband and a great wife. And they hate that. They hate any idea that there is a God, that there is Christianity. So the reason there's transgender everything is simply because they hate God. The reason that a teacher's union, a teacher's union is, says we have to throw down two plus two equals four. Don't just laugh at that. You can laugh at it, but don't just laugh at it. 
They hate God. Understand it. The Christian way. What is the Christian way to know what are they doing when they say throw down two plus two is four? The Christian way is not to say, oh, those people are just stupid. No, they're not. They're very clever. They hate God and they are directing all their power. They're going to throw it down here. They're going to throw it down every way they can. All right, let's, let's pause there tonight. You've got the rest that you can read on. There may be questions because I didn't even get to the complex part of the law. The object and subject are pretty easy. It's the law that's more complicated. But are there any questions or comments that you'd like to make as we close tonight?